All right, Peter and Elena and little Kayla, who is not little. Were you like four months and six feet? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what a baby dedication is? Hi. Baby dedication. We see examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament where as parents, when God gives us the gift of a child, of a life, God made her. She is his, not ours. We not want nothing more than to, as we're allowed by God, to train her, to point her to the Lord, as mom and dad raise her day in and day out and all the good times and all the bad, that this child would bear the imprint of Jesus Christ from birth to death and for all eternity and all the time in between. Amen? Amen. So let us dedicate Kayla, and I don't even know her middle name. Rylan. Rylan. Kayla Rylan Schmidtke. You're going to be 10 before you can spell Schmidtke. Yeah. <laughs> let us pray for this precious life. Heavenly Father, as I look down at Kayla's wrist right now, I see a bracelet, a ring, Lord. It's always a symbol of, of relationship. We look at our rings on our fingers as married couples, Lord, that symbol of commitment to one another. I know Peter and I know Elena. We've watched them, Lord, dating and marriage and celebrating the birth of their daughter. And they're standing before you and they are standing before us as their brothers and sisters to dedicate their daughter to you. Lord, we are praying for Kayla that all the days of her life, Lord, that you would cause her to grow, that you would cause her body to be strong, mind, body, spirit that you would give her favor in your presence and favor in the presence of men. Lord, that whatever your will is for her life, your plans, your purposes, that you would cause her to be the woman of God that you've created her to be. Lord, and that you'd allow us as her siblings to always encourage her, to point her to you, Jesus, to teach her about you, to bear testimony, Lord. So fill her with joy. Fill her with your life. Fill her with a hunger and thirst for you. And Lord, may all the activities of her life bring you glory. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. 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 Oh, she's so precious. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. What a privilege. If you know me at all, you know I'm a sucker for babies. She is a cute one. I was over there doing the oohs and the ahs and the googling and all the weird faces that if you did to an adult, you'd be in the insane asylum. And she's trying to and talk back. I love it. Congratulations, both of you. Congratulations. All right, Bolton's announcements. 
Um, first is this afternoon, so whispering hope. So we sit here and, and dedicate a baby to the Lord. There are many women involved in what we term as crisis pregnancies who are contemplating whether or not to end a life and to end a child's life. Whispering Hope's a ministry that helps stand in that gap to pray for life, to be in action in that, to, to point people to hope in Christ, to point people to a community where these women can know that they're not alone in the circumstances in which they find themselves. When a, a, a needful and a good work to participate in. This afternoon, they're having their annual day of prayer. So after church, if you would like to go up, it's, they're up and coming just on the west side of downtown coming. So from one to three, opportunity to go up and pray for them, for the women that they minister to, for the lives of the unborn, standing in the gap with this ministry. So important. And if you want to know anything in depth, Chris, raise your hand. Chris is uh, one of the board of directors at Whispering Hope. He can fill you in on the ministry there, but we'll be up there praying this afternoon. Gals, Coffee Talk is coming up, beginning again on this Saturday. I think the schedule is just once a month, um, so it starts on the 10th here, so next Saturday, 9 a.m., sitting there talking to my wife as she's, as she's writing this and the subject matter focused on discipleship. Um, you are really going to be blessed and really this entire morning's message revolves around this same subject matter. So, gals, you consider this entire morning as a long-winded advertisement for Coffee Talk on Saturday. What a, what a blessing that is for all of you. All right, let us get into the Word. We are in Hebrews chapter 12. So make your way in your Bibles to Hebrews 12, whether on your phone or in paper. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles on the back table back there. I want you to have the Word of God in your hand for sure. Let's pray again. Father, as we were worshiping you this morning, just reminded once again what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. When I hear the name Jesus, I hear love, I hear power, I hear sacrifice, I see a smile. I see purpose, I see hope, I see a king, I see a servant, I see that sacrificed lamb, I see that lion of the tribe of Judah, I see a victorious one, I see holiness, I see light, I see perfection, I see our God who became a man. I love the name of Jesus. It's for your name's sake that we're here. It's for your name's sake that we're opening up your word. It's for your name's sake that we exist. And we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, upon our minds and our hearts right now. Let us hear what your spirit would speak to each one of us individually, what you'd speak to us as a congregation. Let us turn into you, Lord. And sit at your feet. May the name of Jesus 
be glorified. Amen. Well, we covered the first couple of verses of chapter 12 last week, but we'll read them again to get a run-in to the subject matter, because again, all words in the Bible, all words and sentences that we speak, sentences that we read, a word only has meaning in its context. So the context is, is continuing, continuing to flow through here in Hebrews. We'll read down through verse 11, and that's what we'll cover this morning. It says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who are in the word of God, even in our lives, that are bearing testimony to who Jesus Christ is, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking having your, your gaze and your eyes fixed upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, after his ascension, he is seated he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Other places in the Bible, he is seated with his father in his throne. And so are you and me through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten entirely the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You're a Bible underliner, underline that, star it, circle it, whatever you do. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, for our prophet, that... We may be partakers, partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is what I titled this morning's message is God's Gym. And it's from this word trained there. It's where we get our English word gymnasium. 
So as we're walking through this morning's subject matter, we're looking at this idea that God chastens us as his children, and that chastening process is how God is training us and raising us up as his children. And this word for chastening here in Hebrews, often we're, th- we're thinking about this, this is a disciplinary measure, that this is a, a punishing measure. He uses this word in Proverbs that he quotes there in verse 6, he scourges every son whom he receives. The word there for scourging, it's a whipping, it's a flogging. Um, the word is used in regards to Jesus' scourging when Pilate says that he is going, to, that he will chastise Jesus and then let him go. He uses this phrase twice. He's going to scourge Jesus, this whipping and this flogging. But again, words always mean something in context, and depending on the context of that word is the flavor that the word is defined. Here, this word chastening, it's not the idea of being whipped and flogged and scourged. The idea behind it is, one, it's to provide instruction for informed and responsible living. Listen to that again. When the Lord chastens us, He is seeking to provide us with instructions to educate us so that we can live a life in him that is informed and that it's responsible. Second definition is it's to assist in the development of our ability to make appropriate choices. So think about it just from a parent's perspective. As you are raising your daughter, Kayla, that we just dedicated to the Lord, as your parents raised you, as you are raising your child, what is the primary responsibility of a parent? To inform our children at their age level, in their context, in their circumstances, disciplining, training, educating, so that They can be informed and make wise choices, appropriate choices, that when they go out on their own, they're going to continue to live a relationship set on Jesus Christ. This is this education process. And this is the subject matter that we'll be talking about. Verse 3. This whole idea of our mind and our attention, our gaze needs to be continually fixed upon Jesus Christ. This whole idea of considering Jesus. The word there for consider is to think. And I wanted to pause on just this idea this morning. We are told in our culture this idea of meditating is to empty your mind and to really not think about anything. The idea of meditation in God's word, the idea that you have a relationship with the God who created you, it's a thinking relationship. Nowhere in the Bible does God tell us to stop thinking. He tells us to be still. He tells us to calm down. But he tells us to take our mind, what we're churning on, and to set it on him. And to think about him and to consider him. So we're being encouraged and exhorted in this whole idea of endurance. That we're in this race, that we're in the games, all the athletic imagery that's going on. We have Jesus as the example of endurance. He endured the cross itself, even though he despised the shame. Talked about that last week. Again, coming back to this idea that when we look at Jesus' life, when you think about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to consider the hostility that Jesus endured from the hands of sinners 
not just as he was being scourged and whipped and flogged, not just as he was being crucified on the cross, not just as he was being mocked and despised as he was hanging on the cross, but what does the testimony of the Gospels tell us about Jesus' entire life? So he was born to what? He was born to a woman who claimed that she conceived him as a virgin. Do you think that there was any kind of mocking and trials in Jesus' life? Do you think that he suffered at the hands of sinners as he was being raised in his community there in Nazareth? Do you think that Jesus knows what it's like to be made fun of, to be teased? Do you think he knows what it's like to be an outsider, not like the rest of the crowd? I guarantee that he does. How about when we see Jesus in his public ministry? People were flocking to him for what? Because he could perform miracles? Because of the authority of his teaching? The words that he was speaking? So people flock to him for all different kinds of reasons. All, the whole spectrum of the reasons that we run to Jesus. These were the human beings, the individual souls that he was interacting with on a daily basis. We're told that in his public ministry, even his family thought that he was a nut job. They thought he was crazy. We're sitting in the book of James on Wednesday night. The testimony of James's life to go from somebody who thought his brother was a little bit off of his kilter to this incredible follower and servant and leader in the church of, of a man that he called his brother. It's an astonishing transformation that we see in James's life. How about his best friends? So you have these, these 12 disciples. One of his friends totally betrayed him, Judas. One that we consider Jesus' closest and probably best human friend, Peter. He had to keep, call Peter Satan to get behind him because the advice that was coming out of his friend's mouth was contrary to God's will for his life. What about the religious leaders of Jesus' time? Did he endure hostility from the religious community? As he is preaching, living, demonstrating power in truth day in and day out, he endured hostility from his culture. He endured hostility from his family. He endured hostility from his friends. What happens when you sit in that same kind of hostility? Why God? Why me? What did I do wrong? I'm, I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to love them. And they just, they, they're just, they don't get it. Do you understand that kind of suffering? And this is the suffering that the Hebrews, this letter is being written to. This is what they're sitting in as a culture. They are Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And they're Jewish community around them even gentile community there's all this pressure upon them because now they're outsiders the pressure is to conform back to who they were they're suffering hostility for jesus name's sake and it's hard it's uncomfortable we talked last week about that emotion of shame none of us like shame and jesus bared up under it in his relationship with his father. Consider, think about the, who Jesus Christ is. Think about what he did. Think about his life experience. And as you are processing through the path of life that he has set before you, get your mind, get your eyes on Jesus. Think about him. Think about his heart. Think about his passion. Remember his teaching that he told us 
to pray for our enemies, to bless them, to love them, to forgive them. Those are heart emotions. It's not, it's not natural to any of us. We want to drive them off the road. We want to drive them out of our lives. But it's think about what Jesus would desire you to do in this circumstance, in this relationship, in the hostility that you are suffering. And the issue is the, the lest here in the rest of verse 3 is the circumstances that we have in life have its way of grinding us down, causing weariness and exhaustion. The, the imagery of the athlete continues on here that as you are processing in the games and as you are being trained and disciplined, the race is long and you get tired and it's hard to finish the race. You know what direction you need to head in, but you know what? I'm just worn out. So the last here is keep your mind on Jesus. Think about Jesus. Look to him for the strength and empowering that you need today. Because life is fatiguing. Praise God. Because if all that we had is free time, we would be doing our own thing. And this is starting to sit in this idea of what it feels like to be chastened. If God just let us go about and do our own thing, if he didn't discipline us and educate us and get us back onto Christ when we're over here and doing our own thing, if he just let us go our own way, is that loving? I want to talk about just this definition here uh, as we sit in, in chastening and that its idea is to train us, its idea is to educate us, to look at the contrast between a parent who disciplines their child trains them up, educates them, informs them, and even punishes as necessary versus a child who has been neglected. This week on Thursday, I was, uh, had the opportunity to go up to Knoxville for uh, an annual uh, kind of kickoff planning meeting for a children's ministry, a children's foundation there in Knoxville. Um, so part of this, this foundation, they are, their mission is to step into the gap for the youngest, the poorest, and the most vulnerable children in these counties that they're serving in Virginia and Kentucky and in Tennessee. And the the heart behind it of what God was doing in this, in this man's life and the vision that God gave to him was to stand in dental care for these kids, um, to train principals, and we'll get to this, that in a minute, to, uh, they focus on Bible release time, so releasing the kids from school for an hour, they go to a church and they're getting trained up in the word of God, and then the fourth one is in child advocacy. So on Thursday, as I'm, as I'm meditating in the idea of God as a father, as a perfect father, and his attitude of correcting me and rebuking me and disciplining me and educating me and training me, all those things that he does as a perfect father provided me that absolute contrast of what it means to be neglected. Because as this ministry, as they are reaching out to the youngest and the poorest and the most vulnerable children in their community, the gap that they're standing in is parents who are neglecting their children. 
Now, it's one of those things, like you think about dental care. It's like, why, does, why do you need to stand in dental care in a child's life? You ought to see the pictures. I, the, 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 the pictures of the teeth that I saw, that this foundation is paying for the dental work to be done, coming alongside a dentist, coming alongside the schools, coming alongside these families to provide care that either the parents can't afford or they just don't care about their kids and they're neglecting them. The, picture, these, the kids' mouths were so damaged, they are so filled with pain, eating is a task. I've never seen in real life black teeth. A child who has their permanent teeth and they're all blackened because of what? Neglect. Does the parent of a child who has the care, the attention, and the means, so not all, some of this is just the means and the poverty of the communities that they live in and the parents are trying to do the best that they can so you can't just paint it all with a broad brush. But for many of these kids, their mouths are the consequence of their parents' neglect. So we're sitting in different stories as they're communicating this. Some of them, it's like that, and pun intended, it's like pulling teeth to get a parent to sign a waiver form so a dentist can even look at their child's mouth when their child is in pain every single day. One of these pictures, open mouth, and I'm looking, I'm looking at a molar that looks like Swiss cheese. It has been so corroded and damaged. And that was just one tooth with the mouth filled. Every single tooth had a cavity in it. So, when God chooses to discipline us, to have the love and the care and the attention in our life, do you see the contrast of what it means to be loved by God and to be chastened by him as our father versus do you want God to just let you do whatever you want to do? The man or the woman who allows their child to just be, to do what they want, is an abuser, period. This culture that we live in that promotes to us the idea of a child can just be whoever they think they are as they are growing up is a lie from Satan. Those parents are neglecting the proper training of their children. Which is, I mean, it's the imagery that we get in this chapter is that when God does not discipline a human being, it is a judgment of God. God withholding his chastening, his discipline, his training, his instruction from a human being's life is judgment. His attention to you, his chase, his, him taking things out of your life that doesn't belong there, him using hardships, trials, 
this refining process that we talk about. He allows these circumstances in our lives because he loves us, not because he hates us. And oftentimes as we're sitting in that, and again, there's, there's a whole spectrum on what this chastening can look like. And just because something's hard in our lives doesn't automatically mean that it's the discipline of God. There are things that have happened in your life and there are things that happen in other human beings' life that are totally, completely far from the heart of God. That he takes those things that are meant for evil, what Satan is trying to do, what the world is trying to do, what your rotten flesh sometimes tries to do to yourself. He'll take those things and as we submit ourselves to him, he will bring about his good. He will bring about his reformation and restoration as he walks alongside us, trains us, disciplines us, educates us. This, is, this just gets to this, the heart and the thrust of this passage is as we have our attention on Jesus, there are so many life circumstances where you don't need Jesus to come and save you out of the circumstance. What you need is endurance with Jesus through the circumstance. That whatever that is, that if God is using this thing to refine you, to change you, to keep you straight and narrow on that path. Like for me, I have, no, I have zero doubt in my relationship with God that I am where I am today because this is what's keeping me on that path following him. The role that he's called me to, the attention that I have to have upon him, the dependence that I have to have upon him, how often I have to turn to this word to sit in it, to study it, to understand it, to ask the Holy Spirit to teach me and to instruct me, to empower me, to lead me. It is to discipline me and to keep me on him. What he has done with me is a demonstration of his love for me. And this is the attention of the passage Child of God, child of God. Everybody that God has created is in a way a child of God. New Testament understanding of what it means to be adopted by God is those who are apart from Jesus Christ are called children of wrath, children of disobedience, and children of the devil in the New Testament. Those are rebukes. Those are the chastenings. If you want to live a life apart from God, you can if you want, but you will abide under his wrath in your disobedience, following your true father, the devil. If you want to submit yourself to the God who created you and come to him through his son, the only name that he has given to us, to have life, to have freedom, to have hope, to have healing. Come to him. Come to him. Submit to the purpose of his chastening. Read through a few verses. These will be up on the wall. And this is under this category. What is, why... What is God's purpose behind his discipline in our lives? 
whether it's hard, whether it's easy, whether it's just education and information and knowledge and direction for life, what's, what's God's purpose in it? 1 Corinthians 11. I pulled in a longer context here just because it brings up the idea of communion that we sit in week after week. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man or woman examine himself. And so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Listen to this in verse 32. But when we are judged... We are chastened, this is our word, we are chastened by the Lord that the purpose we may not be condemned with the world. Listen to this, when we come to God in prayer, when we come to God thinking about who his son is, when we come to God thinking about what the Holy Spirit is placing on our mind as we're approaching God in prayer, as we're approaching him in communion, as we're approaching him in worship or through his word, Those circumstances in life that are off. God does come in and judge. This is wrong. There's no gray area. God comes in and defines for us this is wrong. But the judgment that he brings is to let us know that the sin that we're struggling with, the thing that we're doing, where we are off, was paid for by his son on the cross so that the chastening that comes, the rebuke that comes, the judgment that comes from him towards us in that moment, in those circumstances, the purpose is that we wouldn't be condemned with the world. The world is already condemned. He didn't send his son into this world to condemn this world. He sent his son into this world to save this world to save you from death, from sin, from hardship, from he came to save us from everything. 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 24 says, "A servant of the Lord." Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? This is you. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. God help us to be gentle. Able to teach, patient, and here's our word, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Why? Because maybe God, if God perhaps would grant to them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the dental, dental, My brain's like 20 minutes ago. And escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Look at the the purpose there. Look at God's heart as he is using Paul to communicate to Timothy. Timothy, you're a servant of God in humility. Correct, train, 
rebuke, exhort, discipline those who are in opposition, not to you, to God. If God perhaps will grant to them, give them repentance so that they may know the truth. Why? Because they're sitting in rebellion. They're sitting in a lie. Remember the story of the prodigal son? As he has gone and squandered all that his dad has given to him, his inheritance. What does it say when he's, when he's in the pig slop? He came to his senses. And he's looking around at his circumstances. And is shocked by the sight, the vision of reality. I can't believe that I let go of my relationship with my father for this. This is we engage other human beings, praying that God will grant them repentance. God, let them know the truth. Let me know the truth. Keep me in my sanity, Lord. Keep me from being insane and living in a false reality. Allow us to escape from the snare, the traps of the devil, which are set for us all over the place. Lord, set my feet on a broad and safe highway as I follow you. Here's the reality. Human beings have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. We're talking about this morning. The insanity of a human being thinking that justice is murdering innocent human beings. That is insanity. The young man who is guilty of the mass murder yesterday, in fact, we had two of them yesterday. Those individuals, their minds, their hearts, their lives were snared by the devil, taken captive to do his will and perform his tasks. And always remember, the devil is a pervert. He is not happy with his own evil. He is not happy with his own rebellion and his own pride against God. His desire is to take everyone with him. If he can get you to trap yourself and off yourself, he has success. If he can get you to trap you and ensnare you and get you, get you to take others out with you in your life, even more success for him. His strategy is to steal from you. It's to destroy your life. It's to, it's to try and seize glory from God. The devil is insane. And those who follow him, whose minds are ensnared by him, are insane because their minds and their hearts aren't in truth. Jesus is truth. I read this young man's manifesto this morning. Zero God. God's name was in there as a curse word. This young man, thinking that he is sane, thinking that he has the right political motivation, thinking that he has the right economic motivation, thinking that he has the right racial motivation, thinking that he is a freedom fighter for the cause of the United States of America. I'm going to walk into a store and I'm going to murder people. 
Oh, and by the way, here's the gear that I used. Insane. Insane. Titus, chapter 2. <laughs> the contrast of the insanity that we see in the world. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's that young man that I was just talking about. He's still alive. The grace of God is powerful enough to save even him. Do you believe it? That is grace. Not only to save him, but the grace of God has appeared for my own salvation. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Here's our word, teaching us. What's the purpose? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Think about as we raise up children, we are teaching our children to deny their selfishness. God is teaching you to deny your selfishness, deny ungodliness, deny worldly lusts. Live soberly, not in drunkenness, but in your right mind. Live righteously as he provides and godly in this present age, in this present evil age in which we live. This is what he is instructing us, chasing us. Our vision, verse 13, looking, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who he gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. That's the purpose of God's chastening. Now let's look at the process. The process gets into this idea of training, the gym. If you're a CrossFit follower at all, today's the, the finals for CrossFit. I was watching some of the videos yesterday, watching all these meathead men and women lift these incredible weights. They didn't get to that point, that professional level to be able to do those kinds of physical feats without training. Whether it's a musical talent or ability, your hobby, your job that you're engaged in, being a parent, being a follower of Christ, everything demands training. But God has his specific training process, his gym that he takes us through. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the process is we are to reject profane and old wives' fables, all the goofiness of life, all those goofy things that we believe that creep its way into the body of Christ. But we are to exercise, to train ourselves toward godliness. And for those who are in the CrossFit competition today, 
They have been exercising themselves. They have had to demonstrate discipline above and beyond that of their competitors. Their eating, their sleeping, their recovery, their training, all the different facets that goes into that physical activity. Here we have so many facets, so many activities that go into the exercise of exercising, training ourselves towards godliness. Verse 8, bodily exercise, it profits a little, but guess what? All those pecs, they'll start drooping one day. Bodily exercise, it profits just a little bit. It's good to be physical, physically healthy. Helps in our minds, it helps in our spirits, it helps us in our activities as we pursue the Lord. It profits a little, but look at this, but godliness is profitable for all things. Godliness, it has, it possesses the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Here's a warning as we talk about training. We've already sat in a little bit of warning already, but in 2 Peter chapter 2, it's talking about false teachers false prophets, those who name the name of Christ, but the name of the Christ that they are naming is their own. It's an idol. Professing godliness, denying the power of God. Second uh, Peter 14 says, they have eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. Listen, here's the word. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Not the children of God. They've forsaken the right way and gone astray. This is the idea when it comes to training. God's purpose, again, it's to bring about his godliness. Here back in Hebrews, when God is chastening us, when he's allowing difficulty, trials, circumstances, when he brings his rebuke to us, whether it's through his spirit, through his word, through a circumstance, through a brother or sister, We're told that it's for our profit, it's for our advantage, that the purpose that we may be partakers of his holiness. The idea that God allows us to share in his holiness. What a a beautiful reality. The purpose, the end that is chastening is going to yield in us. It's going to produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But it's to those who have been trained by it. So we can submit ourselves to the God's gym, to the way that he desires to train us and direct us in life. Or we can submit ourselves to our own ways, to the devil's ways, to the world's ways. And know that those who submit themselves to that which is in opposition to God is defined as a child who is cursed. Those who submit themselves to the chastisement of God, defines you as a son, defines you as a daughter. Turn to Revelation 3. This is where we're going to end this morning. Everybody's favorite church to talk about in Revelation chapter 3. 
that lukewarm church of Laodicea. Listen to the same heart from Jesus as he's speaking to his church, as he's speaking to you and to me this morning. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Revelation 3, verse 14, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, literally the witness, the witness, the testifier who was faithful and true, the beginning of the creation of God. Not that he was the first thing created, but that he is the source of creation. Look at his knowledge, verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Remember, this is Jesus speaking these words. Comfortable words? Or is this a word of rebuke? This is a word of rebuke from Jesus Christ to his church. Not to, not to the rebellious sinners, not to the world. This is to his church. This is to his bride. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're lukewarm. You're tepid. You're meh in your relationship with God. You're meh when it comes to the works of life. When you look at yourself in the mirror, the rebuke goes on. Because you say I am rich and have become healthy or wealthy and have need of nothing, I don't need anything, I'm great. You don't know. He says, I know. And he's talking to people who are sitting in insanity in the sense of what is not real. You don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And here's his heart. I counsel you. You need to hear the rebuke. You need to sit in it. You need to look at the consequences if you don't repent, which is this, this gross imagery of vomit. Here's my recommendation from the heart of Christ. I counsel you to come and buy from me, Jesus says. Gold refined in the fire, true riches, that you may be rich. Come to me to cover your nakedness. White garments, come and buy from me white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And come, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may truly see. Verse 19, circle it, underline it, highlight it. As many as I love. And this isn't agape, this is phileo. As many as I have affection for, I rebuke. I prove you wrong, Jesus says. That's what a rebuke is. Here is where you're off. Here is where you're wrong. And I'm telling you this because I love you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I bring you up as a child. Purpose, recommendation. Therefore, in light of this, be zealous, be hot, be cold, repent. Be refreshing, be on fire in this relationship. 
Don't let your life be, eh, be zealous and repent. In Jesus' name's sake, behold, listen to Jesus. I'm standing at the door. I'm standing at the door of your mind, the door of your heart, the door of your life. Jesus is ringing the doorbell. And here's the question. When you know that Jesus knows everything about you, and Jesus comes knocking on your heart, and you know that he has a rebuke for you, you know that he's there to chasten, you know that he's there to correct, do you have the tendency to draw the blinds, turn off the lights, everybody be quiet, pretend nobody's home? I don't hear anything, shh. Or do you welcome in, fling the door open, throw your arms around your God, your Savior, your friend, the one that's knocking on your heart, the one that you know, that you know, loves you, that he knows everything about you, and that he wants to come in and he wants to sit at your dinner table. He wants to break bread with you, to become one with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to laugh with you. He wants to cry with you. He wants to answer your questions. He wants to blow just the breath of his spirit into your lungs and into your life. Fling that door open to Jesus. Whether it's rebuke, whether it's encouragement, whether it's teaching, whether it's a hug, fling the door of your mind and your heart open to the God who made you. Trusting him. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant. I am going to give to you to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Heavenly Father, we look to you in all things. But we, we look to you as Father. Your word tells us that through faith in Christ that you have adopted us, you have claimed us as your own heirs and that you have granted to us and given to us your spirit, the breath of life. You dwell in us and it's through him that we cry out to you as Abba, Daddy. Right now we run to you with thanks and with gratitude that you don't neglect us. God, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for your correction. So thankful, Lord, for your care and your love and your attention to me, Lord, that you care, me, that you care enough about me to do something. You created me. Before you created me, Lord, you saw all of my damage. You 
saw, Lord, how I neglected to my own soul, to my, to my own, how I neglected the relationship with my God. And I pursued the devil. I pursued the things of this world, Lord. I was blinded. I couldn't see. Then I had somebody come and tell me about Jesus. And somebody witnessed to me and testified to me about your love. the depth of your love. It's chose to be like me. And that you didn't come with this brutal hand to strike me across my face. came to take all of my darkness all of my sin my thoughts my words my actions and you willingly allowed those things to be placed on you on your cross because you knew what was coming Lord you knew the effect you knew the power of your sacrifice you knew the power of your resurrection you know your power as you were seated on your throne. You and you alone are God. You and you alone are holy. And you allow me to be a partaker of your holiness. Lord, I submit myself to your chastening. I submit myself to your instruction. I submit myself to your will to your mind, to your heart, to your love. Each of us, Lord, let us hear your voice. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.